study through the Gospel of Matthew. We are in Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be looking at the first 23 verses. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand so these guys can bring one to your seat so you can follow along with us. Matthew chapter 13, we're going to be looking at the first 23 verses. I see a few hands up. Father, my message this morning is, what do you hear? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together, Lord. We thank you now that we can open up your word. And we know, Lord, that it's your plan, it's your design, that as we gather, that you would speak to our hearts through your word. And so, Lord, as we get into this study this morning, we pray, Lord, that we would have open ears to receive all that you have for us, for direction, for instruction, for uh, uh, exhortation, conviction, whatever it is you have for us, Lord, we want to be open to that, Father. We thank you, Lord, for this time together. We pray, Lord, if there's anyone that has joined us that is yet to have a personal relationship with your Son, Jesus Christ, they're not born again. They don't know what it means to have their sin forgiven. Lord, would you especially touch them this morning? Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for bringing us here safely. We pray your blessing upon it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What do you hear? I read a story about a a gentleman that had serious hearing problems uh, for a number of years. And he went to the doctor and the the doctor was able to give him, uh, you know, a set of hearing aids that would enable him to to hear 100 percent. Well, the elderly gentleman went back in a month to the doctor and the doctor said, your hearing is perfect. Your family must be really pleased that you can hear again. The gentleman replied, oh, I haven't told my family yet. I just sit around and listen to their conversations. I've changed my will three times. How about this one? A man was bragging about his new hearing aid and how great it was and how well he could hear with it. His friend asked, what kind is it? And the man responded, 1230. I always like that one. Jesus says, he who has an ears to hear, let him hear in verse 9. Let them hear what? Well, in chapter 13, we have a, a parable. We read in verse 3 that Jesus spoke many things to them in parables. That word parable comes from parabole in the Greek. The Greek word para means alongside, while balo means to cast or to throw. So the word parable means casting alongside. Parabolic teaching places a story alongside a truth or a principle. And the use of parables was a way in which people communicated when they wanted to arouse curiosity and excite interest. They, you know, they wouldn't have guitars or humor so much, but rather they would use these parables, these little stories with big messages, like a picture that paints a thousand words. You might say they're like the, the memes that we have today. I found four of them I want to share with you this morning. This is the first one. When the pastor says, open your Bibles to Leviticus. Another one. When you already started eating and someone says, let's pray. Two more. The view from the church sound booth when the mic stops working. And I'm sure those guys know exactly what that's like. Then the last one, what every pastor thinks he looks like during a baby dedication. So again, the use of parables was the way people communicated when they wanted to arouse curiosity and excite interest. 
So too, Jesus wants to speak to arouse our hearts, to excite interest in His Word. And our responsibility is to be prepared to receive from Him. That's for one reason why Jesus uh, often spoke in parables. Again, a parable paints a picture, but the real message lies below the surface. It's figurative. If you're not listening, if you're not paying close attention, you'll hear the story, but you'll miss the point. That's why 13 times in this chapter, Matthew uh, 13, Jesus uses the word here. Now look at verses 1 through 3 of Matthew 13. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. Now, now Jesus is about to teach a vital lesson. And remember, this is the, the time, you know, the, 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 you know, the culture that day is before electronic amplification. But see, Jesus knows physics. He created physics. And so he rose out in this boat where his voice will then bounce off the lake and they'll be able to hear him very clearly. Now, on a side note, notice he's sitting while everyone else is standing on the shore. And that's the way they taught back then. The teacher sat, the people stood. And so, uh, for your sake, you're glad we don't do that anymore, right? <laughs> Now, we read that Jesus begins to speak to the people in, peril, in a parable. And this parable, as we see, speaks of four different reactions to those who hear the word of God. If you're taking notes, we're going to see the hearers on the highway, the hearers on the rocks, the hearers in the thorns, and the hearers in the healthy soil. Again, verse 9, Jesus says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, tune in, think this through, listen up. And it really shows us how important it is that we carefully listen to the Word of God. Because as you hear the Word of God on a regular basis, taught and preached, if you shrug off that message and you decide that, that obedience is just an option, then you're going to do so at your own risk. But if you hear and you obey and you put yourself in the position to, to, to receive more and more, then God is going to give you more and more. He's going to reveal to you more and more from His Word. More understanding. More application. You know, I heard of a story about Franklin Roosevelt who hated to stand in those long receiving lines at the White House. And, and he complained that, that no one really paid attention to him, to, to what he would say to them. Well, one day during a reception, he decided just to make a point. He would say the following to every person that walked by him and shook his hand. He said, I murdered my grandmother this morning. And the people would shake, shake his hand. Mr. President, it's nice to meet you. He would say, it's nice to meet you. I murdered my grandmother this morning. And the response was, that's great. Keep up the good work. We're proud of you. To show that no one was listening, around the end of the line, while greeting the ambassador to Bolivia, his words were actually heard. He says, I murdered my grandmother this morning. And the ambassador leaned over and said, well, I'm sure she had it coming. <laughs> See, the others weren't listening. And you can sit in church and you can daydream and you can let your mind wander because you're not giving attention with intention. Jesus says, listen up to what I'm about to say. Now, the great thing about this parable is that Jesus tells it to us first, but then he explains it to us as well. Let's read the parable now, starting in verse 3, all the way down to verse 15. Jesus says, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground, and yielded the crops some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Whoever has, him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you will see, and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn, so that I should heal them. Here Jesus quotes a difficult passage found in Isaiah chapter 6, in which Isaiah is commanded by the Lord to speak to a people who won't hear him and won't receive from him. Now it was a prophecy fulfilled completely in Jesus as he spoke to the people whose hearts were so hardened, who were, they were hard of hearing and whose eyes were closed. Now here's the question. Why would God send Isaiah to preach to people who wouldn't listen and who wouldn't respond to them? Well, I'll tell you the answer is because because God is a perfect gentleman. And He will not force His will on anyone. He will honor the decision of those who don't want to be saved. Jesus spoke in parables because if He spoke plainly, His presentation would have been so powerful that everyone would have automatically been converted. Many against their own will. Maybe you've seen the old films of Adolf Hitler speaking to the German masses, uh, firing them up during World War II. That's nothing compared to what Jesus could have done. I mean, he could have mobilized an entire country. He could have swept everyone up by what he was saying. But he bowed to, to humanity's freedom of choice. If I speak in parables, those who don't want to see won't see. Those who don't want to hear won't hear. But he says, look at verse 16 and 17. But blessed are your eyes for they see, and for your ears for they hear. For surely I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now, First Peter 1 echoes the same truth. The prophets are all, they're recording these prophecies concerning the coming of Jesus Christ, doing so without understanding what they were writing or how it works out practically. And so Jesus is saying, man, you guys are blessed seeing things come to pass that confuse the prophets because you have the opportunity to hear and to see and to understand. Now, as we read this story, it seems as though this was a very careless farmer just kind of throwing the seeds out with no rhyme or reason. Some seeds fell by the wayside, we read. Some fell in stony places. Some fell among the thorns. Now, we, we think that's kind of wasteful because during our day, you know, farming is, is it's a whole new thing with farming now. We carefully place the seeds in line and the correct distance from ourselves, and we, we move the weeds and they're watered at the right time. But, but in this day and age, they just kind of throw the seeds out in the wind. And yet... In that way, really, that's the way the gospel should be going out. We're to take, take the gospel out and just, just throw it out as far as we can. We want to spread it as far as we can. It's bound to fall on good ground eventually. Granted, it's not all going to fall on good ground, but as we throw it out through preaching, through the internet, through, through the go team that we do here, through, through, through any way we can, we know that people are going to hear it. And it's their responsibility to respond. Paul said in Colossians 1.28, We proclaim Christ warning everyone that we meet and teaching everyone we can all that we know about Him. Now, starting in verse 18, Jesus explains this parable of the sower to His disciples. The seed is a gospel which is sown, falls on four kinds of soil, of four kinds of hearers. And this is our first point, number one. The first set of hearers, hearers on the highway. Look at verse 18 now. Jesus says, listen up, therefore hear the parable of the sower. 
When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what is sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. Another word for wayside is, is highway. It refers to the narrow footpath that ran besides and through the fields. These were the roads in that day that, uh, uh, that the soil on them became really, really hard as concrete because the travelers, all, they walked everywhere, so it would get patted down and hard. So when that seed falls on that footpath, it can't penetrate the soil and it remains there in the open to be devoured by the birds of the air we read. So Jesus here is speaking about the, the type of person who hears the gospel, but that seed never takes root. It's not in that they hear and believe and they're ripped off, but rather it never really penetrates their heart in the first place. And he pictures here, he uses the picture of birds scooping up the seed. And we know that, that birds in, in the parables often are, 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 are represent evil. It's a picture of the devil. You might, for those of you that are older, maybe you've seen it, remember Alfred Hitchcock's movie, The Birds. You know, I was never afraid of birds as a kid until I watched that movie. Then you see them all lined up on the power line. You're going, they're going to kill me. They're going to kill me. I know it. Same type of picture here. The birds coming in and taking over. And this is the, the picture that Jesus paints of Satan coming in and taking that seed before it has a chance to penetrate a heart. person hears the gospel, doesn't understand it, doesn't want to understand it. They can't make the connection between the claims of the gospel and their own life. And, and maybe they're, they're steeped in sin and just refuse to believe. Maybe they're just callous towards the things of God and, and, and refuse to hear. Maybe they've hardened their hearts for so long, uh, you know, the, the, against the call of the gospel, like a path trampled underfoot for centuries, they've become really hard-hearted. And so whatever their need, they're so hard-hearted that the seed of the gospel does not penetrate the soul of their heart. Now, when that happens, any time the gospel is, is, is shared, that the devil comes in and his demons are right there to snatch away the gospel by diverting the mind and helping the person become even more hard-hearted against God. And we see that. We see that in the world today. We often wonder how some people can continually shun the gospel message because it's by their own choice. It's by, because of their hard hearts. So number one, those are the hearers on the highway. The seed is sown, but Satan comes and snatches it away. Number two, the hearers on the rocks. Sounds like a drink. I'll have another hero on the rocks, please. Look at verse 20 and 21. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. See, in contrast from the hard-hearted response from the hearers on the highway, we have these people now, they respond joyfully to the message See, Jesus here is describing a ground that would be embedded with stones. It has soil, but right between the thin layers of soil would be stone. Welcome to Missouri, uh, you know. I remember when we first moved here, I, I went to dig a post hole in my backyard. I didn't know grass can grow on solid rock. I, I, it's amazing to me. Well, that's what Jesus is describing here. Ground that would be embedded with stones. It had soil, but right between the thin layers of soil is all these, these stones, these rocks. So the, this little plant would go in, and then the roots would hit the rock. And the plant would shoot up, and it would appear there. There was real growth, but you see, there wasn't enough root to sustain it, for it to grow. What's this a picture of? I think we've all seen it. You know, this is a, a picture of a person who seems to be embracing Christ. Maybe you brought them to church. In contrast to the first person who's so hard-hearted, you, you can't even get them to church. But this person, on the other hand, comes in, he hears the Word of God and, and says, that's fantastic. 
This is great. Maybe they even raised their hand to receive Christ. Maybe they even come over to the, to the side room here and were given a new believer's Bible and they, they talk about how great church was and they're excited about Jesus for a while. Then maybe a couple of weeks pass and you don't see them again and you give them a call and, hey, where you been? Hey, how's it going? You want to go to church? Nah, you know, I, I got things to do, but thanks anyway. I really liked your church. And they completely caved in. They said, wow, how sad. I mean, they, 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 they came to know the Lord and they fell away. Did they lose their salvation? I think a better question would be, were they saved to begin with? I understand, just because someone has an emotional response at a meeting, and maybe they've made some outward changes in, in their life, that doesn't necessarily mean there's been a genuine conversion. Only time will tell. But there are people who are like this. They look like they've had a conversion, but, but they really haven't. Why? Because they never got their roots deep, roots deep in Christ. Too many rocks. And let me say this, there are those who also, uh, people, they build their faith on a wrong foundation. Maybe they've come forward at an altar call or an invitation and prayed a prayer because a friend did, but when the friend falls away, they fall away too. So maybe they've, they put their faith in their friend, in, in their buddy who's a Christian or some certain preacher, instead of putting their faith in Christ. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 3.11, For no other foundation can lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Sometimes Christians become followers of Christians instead of followers of Christ. Listen, it's okay to be influenced by a teacher or, or a pastor or a preacher and be inspired, encouraged by them. And certainly they should provide leadership for you. But don't put your faith in any person. Every person is going to let you down eventually in some way, shape, or form. Maybe because of failure in their part. I heard of it recently. Maybe you heard of a, a very well-known radio pastor from a large congregation in Chicago this past week has been asked to step down. It's just We see it happening. Don't put your faith in any person. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. You'll never be, be disappointed. He will not let you down in any way, shape, or form. So if there's no place for the roots to go, the seed will last. Verse 21 says, Yet he has, he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. You know, it's great to see someone come to faith in Jesus Christ, to raise their hands, to come up for prayer, and it's exciting for them to, to make that step. But then they have to actually get out in the real world. And maybe they get home and they tell their family, hey, Mom, Dad, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Or, or you know, hey, you know, I, I've come to know the Lord. And, and they start mocking you, start putting you down. And you become the brunt of their jokes. And, and you know, some people, they can't handle that. And they cave in. Again, that also shows me they, they were not a believer to begin with. Listen, if you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, you are going to face persecution. And let me put it another way. If you don't face persecution in some way, shape, or form, it's doubtful that you're a real follower of Christ. Because the Bible says, all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Jesus said, they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. The, the servant's not greater than his master. It just goes with the job. And if that's too hard for you, if you can't handle that, then you're going to be like a hearer on the rock. You're going to, you're going to shoot up. You'll have a little emotional experience, but eventually you're going to die out. If you want to be seed sown on good ground, you're going to seek your roots deep and you're going to endure persecution. It's not going to weaken you. It'll strengthen you. And let's just remind you that this world is not our home and that these people who mock you were never your friends to begin with anyway. So who cares what they think? I mean, you get a whole new set of friends anyway because you've now become a, a part of the family of God through Jesus Christ. But you see, it all comes down to the way that we hear it. it it's attention with intention. 
Let me add one more personal, uh, one more possible scenario to the hearer of the rocks. The stony ground could be those that, that, that heard and believed another gospel. And, and, and let me say what I mean by that. My concern is there are a lot of people running around today who claim to be pastors, evangelists, who are truly not preaching the gospel. You know, they, they offer you a hope in heaven without the warning of the reality of hell. A gospel that tells you that you be, be forgiven, but they don't tell you how you need to repent. And there's a lot of people out there, I think, who say, well, I went forward at this, this meeting, asked Jesus into my life. I, I, I'm saved. But there's no change in your life. They've not really committed themselves to Christ. They've not become a student of the, of the Bible. They, they don't have a, a devoted prayer life. They have not become involved in the church. It's a shallow thing. They went, but I went forward at an invitation. So what? It's not good enough to, to, to come forward. You need to, to go forward. There are a lot of people who have not done this who have false sense of security and it may be because they believed another gospel. Clearly, the Bible warns that there is a false gospel. Galatians 1.8 says, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached you, let him be accursed. So we must be careful not to believe a false gospel, even more careful not to proclaim a false gospel. We give the truth of God's word to people. We must always seek to declare the whole counsel of God. So, we have the hearers on the highway, the hearers on the rocks, and now number three, the hearers in the thorns. Sounds like the old door song, riders in the storm, you know, hearers in the thorn. And to this house we're born, and to this world we're thrown like a dog without a bone. I actually know that song. I don't know why I know that song. Look now at verse 22. Jesus explains, Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Now back in those days, obviously there were quite a few weeds and thorns that people would have to battle with. As we, you know, we still do today. And, and what we know today is that you know, the, the choking process of a plant by a weed doesn't happen overnight. If you plant some new flowers, you don't have some weed break out of the ground immediately and, and start to strangle that flower. Oh yeah, it starts killing the thing. No, the weed slowly comes up and gets bigger and bigger and it begins to work its way towards that flower and slowly wrap itself around it until it's choked out. And this is something we need to understand because this strategy is a little more subtle than the others. Notice what it's choked out with here. Jesus says it doesn't say some great sin or wickedness chokes it out, but he says that the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches is what chokes it out. This means that a person could move away from walking with God, not necessarily because of sinful things, but because of other things. Things that have taken precedence in their life. Not necessarily bad things, but things that are preoccupying them. It's been said that they've been more killed by food than by poison. This is the, the person who says, well, listen, I'm not against prayer. I'm not against Bible study or worship and those things. Uh, the problem is I'm just so busy. I've got so much going on. I have a family to raise. I have a career to pursue. I have hobbies that I'm involved in. There's just so many things that, that are important to me. Maybe later. Well, if that describes you, then, then the cares and the riches of this life are choking you out. Maybe this person started with a spiritual interest, you know, but, but as time passes, that kind of diminishes. Gradually, the physical, the physical becomes more important than the spiritual. Work becomes more important than Bible study. Movies more appealing than, than going to church. Things on this earth more important than, than laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven. By the way, 
The word that is used here for cares of this world can also be translated anxieties. The anxieties of this world, the worries, the anxieties and, and the concerns of life. This is a person who's consumed with these things. And then Jesus adds the deceitfulness of riches. I like that definition. It, it is deceitfulness of riches. Because there, there's so many people who are deceived in the thinking, well, if I just had a little more money, I would be happy. Then my anxieties would go away. But they'll never be satisfied. Now, that's not to say that there's anything wrong with having a career and making a living, but this is a person whose main objection in life is, is to get stuff, to hoard stuff for themselves. And I would say, man, we have a nation that has become that way. We've become a nation of materialists. Webster's defines a materialist as a preoccupation with or stress upon material rather than intellectual or spiritual things. This preoccupation with the world is not a matter of merely having things. It involves being obsessed with them. I mean, i got to have it. Whatever I do, i I, I got to get it. Listen to what the Lord says in Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you, will have, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Why are you spending money on, 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 and time and money on things that, that don't really matter for eternity? Why are you so obsessed with the things that don't really bring satisfaction? And as the Rolling Stones used to sing, I can't get no satisfaction. I try, but I try and I try. Listen, stop trying and come to the living water, Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can bring satisfaction. Now, please understand what I'm saying. If God blesses you financially, you have every right to freely and, and receive and enjoy the blessings He's brought into your life. But just don't get caught up in thinking that if you just had one more thing, then you'd really be happy. It's simply not true. Our main objection is, is, in life is, is, is not to get stuff, to hoard stuff. That'll never bring satisfaction. I think of the, remember the old TV show, The Hoarders? I don't know if it's still on anymore. You know, they'd open up the door and it was just, just stuff everywhere. You know, it, it amazed me how people could live like that. Thinking that the stuff that they're hoarding had any value. Oh yeah, this is a wrapper that I had from four years ago from McDonald's that I really enjoyed. I can't throw it away. Listen, in the same way, the things we, we, we value, the things that we accumulate on earth and heaven doesn't really have any value. That's why Jesus said this back in Matthew six nineteen through 21 Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the hearers in the thorns speaks of a person who is stockpiling, hoarding something. It speaks of a person who's, whose possessions are more important than a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now were these that heard the word saved? No. How do we know that? No fruit. Because the gospel was choked out by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. You know, all three of these seeds being planted tie into each other. In the first case, the seed is rendered fruitless by the devil who swoops down it and snatches it away. The second, by the flesh, the rocky ground, a little persecution, and you bell. The third, by the world, the thorns and the cares and the riches of, of, of this world. These are the three enemies we as, as Christians, we face all the time on a daily basis. The devil, the flesh, and this world. The world is our external foe. The, the, the flesh is our internal foe. Satan is the infernal foe. And we all face him on a regular basis. And the devil can tempt us, but he's not going to be successful if he doesn't have the cooperation of our flesh. 
and the desires and the longs for the things that he offers, then we will live the, the, you know, in the world with all this enticements as well. And I think for us as believers, when we read this, we realize that, that there could be times as believers that respond, we respond in the same way. And we realize that our lives are not as fruitful as the Lord, with the Lord as they should be because we've allowed the cares of this world, the desires of riches, or other things to choke out the fruitfulness in our lives. What's the solution? To be hearers of the words and doers of the word. And that brings us to, to our last point, number four, the hearers in the healthy soil. Look at verse 23. But he who receives seed on the ground, on the good ground, is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. I like the way Luke records it this way. Jesus says in Luke 8:15, but the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. That word for patience there can be defined as perseverance and endurance. Now, here's a very important distinction. The first three categories do not represent people who have actually been saved and have fallen away from the faith, but rather they represent people who were never saved in the first place. The only category that represents a truly saved person is this one, the fourth one, those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart. Now, how can we have a heart like this? Listen, good ground doesn't come naturally that way. It's good because of the hard toil of the gardener to make it that way. See, the rocks have been kind of cleaned out a little bit. The, you know, the, the boulders have been removed. The stumps have been removed. And all the weeds have been pulled up before that seed has been sown. We're not naturally that way. And in many ways, God has to do that work in our lives to prepare us for the seed of sowing of His Spirit. And God may try to weed out in your life some, some seed of rebellion from your life. Or uproot the, the stump of disobedience or roll away that boulder of sin in order to really produce good fruit, lasting fruit in your life. And we have to recognize that the work that God is doing is in your life. But let Him do that work. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do good and to do for His good pleasure. Let God do that work. Let God, God do that, that turning over the soil in our lives. You know, we hear people describe their conversion, but what I look at for more than anything else in a person's life, is there fruit in their lives? Oh, I'm saved. Anybody can say they're saved. Anyone can say they're Christian. But is there fruit in your life? Jesus said in John 15, 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. How is that fruit produced? By abiding in him. Again, verse 23, Jesus says, But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Luke's Gospel says, uh, when you hear the word and keep it. That's how you can have fruit, lasting fruit. When you hear the word, you understand the word, and you keep the word. So right now, we're all hearing the word. Hopefully, we're understanding the word. And it's up to us whether or not we're going to keep the word. And that's a choice. If you choose to, then Jesus says there will be fruit in your life. Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. Man, I, I like his math. What is fruit? Well, Scripture defines, defines uh, really specific types of fruit. Let me give you six of them. Romans 1.13 identifies soul winning as fruit. Uh, Romans 6.22 says holiness is a fruit. Romans 15.28 calls financial giving a fruit. Galatians 5.22-23, we know that the fruits of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. These are all fruits of the Spirit. 
Colossians 1.10 labels good works as fruit. Hebrews 13.5 names praise as fruit. See, folks, this parable is a powerful one because it speaks to each one of us concerning the condition of our hearts upon hearing the Word of God. It really has a couple applications. Primarily, it speaks of how we hear the Word, but it also gives us understanding how we should share the Word. And because of that, before we close, I want to look at those of us that are seed spreaders and how we share the Word, and then we'll close. We've all been, been called to share the Gospel. We have been entrusted with this glorious, fabulous message of the Gospel and this parable gives us some insights how people respond when we share the gospel. And first, I understand, we understand that not everyone is going to respond. In fact, as we looked at this parable, we only see one out of four went on to fruitfulness. And that's helpful to know because it explains why some people, you know, seem so excited to receive the word, but they don't go on with the Lord. Jesus says, that's how it's going to be. Don't be surprised by it. Again, one in four would bear fruit. Only one in four. But there is that one out of four. I mean, think about all the people you've shared with family and friends and co-workers. One out of four can bear fruit. Now, if they haven't, then we need to realize that the problem is not in the seed, for the Word of God is powerful and real. It's in the soil, as we've looked at. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 3, God instructs Jeremiah to break up the fallow ground and sow seed, not among the thorns. You see, the soil has not been properly prepared. We have sowed seed without preparing the soil. Let me illustrate it to you this way. Suppose you're on a, on a 757 heading for Hawaii from St. Louis. The captain suddenly calls the stewardess into the cabin and says, look, we have a hole in our fuel tank. We've only got about 30 minutes of fuel left. We're about two hours from Honolulu, but we're too far to turn back, and the plane is going to go down. Distribute parachutes immediately to all the passengers. And suppose this stewardess comes out on the plane and, and uh, kind of wipes a worried look off her face. And, but instead of telling the passengers what's really going down, what's really happening, she says, listen, ladies and gentlemen, who would like to wear a parachute? Try one on, you know, you'll see how smooth a flight can be, how wonderful this trip can, can become. People are going to look at her and scratch their heads and go, what? Maybe, there might be a few that might raise their heads and volunteer, but after a while that, that parachute becomes uncomfortable and the people find they can't sit in their seats comfortably as they once did and they, they can't put their tray table down because they, they, you know, they can't hold their Cokes and their pretzels. And, and, and worse yet, they see people making fun of them because they have this parachute on. So tired of snickering and tired of squirming, they remove their parachute. However, no sooner do they throw them down than the plane begins to sputter and crashes into the ocean and, and all lives are lost. Why? Well, because instead of telling the truth about what was happening, she candy-coated it. She sugar-coated it. You know, oftentimes I hear people present the gospel like, well, come to Jesus and your life will be fun. Christians have more fun. Really? Tell that to the Apostle Paul who was beaten, imprisoned, shipwrecked, constantly in pain and suffering and difficultly. And if, if Christianity is more fun, what did Jesus mean when he said, in the world you will have much tribulation? What did he mean when he said we would enter the the kingdom only through trials and difficulties? And what did the writer of Hebrews mean when he said believers in his day were sawn in half, they were uh, traveled in animal skins to keep warm, they they lived in in caves and in poverty. But still others all come to Jesus and you won't be miserable, you know, your life will be great, it'll just be better, Jesus is your best friend. And and we try so hard to convince people that they're miserable without Jesus and, and things are going to get worse. But sooner or later, they don't get worse. And, and the sun comes out, and they're not miserable. And they say, I've been swindled. And they throw off their parachute. And the inevitable, inevitable happens. The plane crashes. Death comes. 
They're dumped into hell for all eternity because they came to the gospel on the wrong set of presumptions. Their commitment was shallow because the presentation was shallow. Now, let's consider stewardess number two. She returns from the captain's cabin saying, Ladies and gentlemen, listen carefully. There is a leak in the fuselage. We are losing fuel rapidly. We have 30 minutes before we have to make an emergency landing. Who wants a parachute? So everybody's hand's going to go up, right? Everyone stops on a parachute. And you know what? They're still uncomfortable. And they're still, you know, can't get their tray tables down for their pretzel and their Coke. But they don't care one bit. They know that an event is coming that they have to be prepared for. And maybe some are, are, are skeptical. Perhaps some are cynical. And they may say, oh, come on, that's just a drill, some kind of test. I don't want a parachute. And they laugh. But they laugh nervously. <laughs> what if she's right? As they go for a second and a third drink. Thirty minutes later, when the plane begins to spread and the doors open, those who have parachutes jump to safety. The others are lost. Folks, here's my point. We need to make a realistic presentation of the gospel. That we are sinners on our way to hell and the only hope we have is turning from our sin and turning to Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins three days later, rose from the grave and is going to return for us one day. To share that the Bible says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. To share with them Hebrews 9.27, as it is appointed unto man once to die and after that judgment. Or John 3.36, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. We need to be bold enough to say, friend, what will you do with the person of Jesus Christ? Your eternal destination hinges on it. If you receive him, if you respond, if you repent of your sin, you will be saved. If you reject it, if you ignore him, you will crash. You will be lost. But there are people who say, well, you know, sharing the gospel that way makes me uncomfortable. Some might object. But see, that may just be what it takes to break that hard ground, to break up that soil. Jude put it this way in Jude 23, but others say with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. May God help us to plow deep and sow well so that people might truly be converted and become fruitful in the kingdom of God. Finally, as we close, there's one final application that we can draw from this parable, and that is as Christians, if we are not careful, we that are saved can allow ourselves to develop the wrong kind of heart. We can become hard towards the things of God, towards His house, towards His work. And whenever that happens, we find ourselves fruitless and defeated as a believer. Or we can grow shallow in our commitment to the Lord and His work. And two, this can hinder fruit in our lives. Or we might allow our lives to become so filled with the wrong kinds of things, the thorns of sin and worldliness, that it hinders us from being fruitful in the Lord. Let me ask you this morning, if you're saved, what kind of soil is your heart made of? Can we be honest with ourselves this morning and ask ourselves the following question? What kind of soil is my heart of? Have I grown hard to the things of God? Do I have a shallow commitment, shallow commitment to Him and His work? Am I constantly distracted, burdened and defeated by sin and the cares of this world? Am I bearing the type of fruit that God wants me to bring? I think every one of us knows we were, where we were at this morning. And I'm just asking us the question to consider where our hearts are at and where we need to be this morning. To be honest with yourselves and understand where you're at. Maybe this needs to be a time of repentance if that's what's needed. Maybe it's a time of recommitment to the things of God. We want to produce more fruit in our lives. And finally, maybe you've joined us this morning and you realize you don't even have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
and the different responses to the gospel, man, you realize you're somewhere in, in those three, and, but you want to change. You want to have your sin forgiven. You want to have that relationship with Jesus Christ as soon as service is over. There's going to be elders up front that love to pray with you and give you a Bible and let you know what it means to be a true believer in Jesus Christ. I encourage you this morning, if you don't know Christ, come to Him today. He'll forgive you of your sin. He'll put you on, on, on the, the parachute and he'll, give, he'll get you to heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your love, your grace. Lord, I thank you for each believer here that as the word of God was sown into our lives, Lord, it took root because you prepared the soil of our hearts, Lord. You opened up our eyes to see our need for you. We realized that we were sinners. We needed to repent and you saved us. We thank you, Jesus. Help us to be now that witness to you in this world that's quickly crashing down. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here that has yet to give their life to you, to, to, to turn from their sin and to repent and, and to be born again, Lord, would you especially touch their heart today? Lord, as, as they've heard the word, that it would fall on good soil and it would produce fruit in their lives. And Lord, I pray for anyone here that maybe as believers... We've allowed the cares and the riches of this world to, to distract us. Lord, we haven't really been uh, taking care of the soil that we, we've been planted in, Lord. We've allowed things to come in our lives that shouldn't be there. Lord, help us not to harden our hearts, but to break up that fallow ground. Lord, it's just to relinquish all authority and, and, and uh, surrender our hearts and life to you afresh this morning. We recognize you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You are our Savior and our Lord. And I pray, Lord, if anyone here is not uh, surrendered to you, Lord, that this morning would be the time. Thank you now, Lord, for this time. Pray that you give us traveling mercy on the way home. Keep us safe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.